Kim Petrus, and I'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite albums, Blackout by Britney Spears. Connecting it with that time and how people were treating her, and then the album just being sexy and like, yeah, I have sex, and yeah, I go out, and so what, is such an amazing statement, and honestly, really rebellious and punk rock. I really don't think people give Britney credit for how badass and punk rock her attitude is in this album considering what people had to say about her so i i think it's very brave i think it's it stood the test of time Britney Spears became a superstar when she was just 16 years old. Less than a decade later, stardom threatened to crush her. By the mid-2000s, her string of very public bumbles began to overshadow her record-breaking hits. The public and the press mocked her quickie Las Vegas marriage to a childhood friend, which soon ended in annulment. In 2004, she married Kevin Federline, a backup dancer and aspiring rapper. With him, the public scrutiny only got worse. Here's Vanessa Gregoriadis, who wrote a 2008 Rolling Stone cover story on Britney and the media circus she inspired. I think that people wanted to know more and more about her life, and they didn't totally love the person that she became with Kevin and, like, the pimps and hoes, tracksuits at the wedding and all the stops at the gas stations. There was, like, a sense that she had become, like, too trashy. She and Kevin sold their baby pictures, and they were making their own videos. And, you know, it was almost like the birth of influencer Britney, right? Like, nobody can tell me what I can, what I need to do, and I'm going to make money my own damn self. So I think that all kind of was percolating for a couple of years before, like, the breakdown. The price of the public's fascination was more than just a few late-night jokes. Britney's privacy was non-existent. Paparazzi swarmed her home and her family, especially once she became a mom in 2005. No matter how many hits she had during the first decade of her career, Britney had become a tabloid punching bag. Hey, Britney, how you feeling today? Come on, guys. I think that they really portrayed her, like it was almost like it was a affront to them that she decided to let herself go and become like a young mom versus continuing to stay sexy and like dance for everybody. There wasn't a sense that she wanted to come back. You know, there wasn't a sense that she was working on music and that this was kind of a pause. There was a sense that, you know, particularly because of Kevin, that this was just like Britney's new life, you know, and that she'd basically fallen off like the stardom wagon. But when you're a platinum-selling pop princess, the show goes on even when it seems like it needs an intermission. Through all of the turmoil, Britney kept working. While she was pregnant with her second child, she began recording an album that would become her defining statement, 2007's Blackout. It was a celebration of dance floor catharsis that was ahead of its time, taking dark, clubby sounds and propelling them into the top 40. It was also a middle finger to her critics. One, two, three, four, five, 
breakdown, baby. I'm Brittany Spanos, senior writer for Rolling Stone and your host for Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, an Amazon original podcast where we dig into 10 albums off our brand new list. In this episode, Blackout by Britney Spears. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. When Britney began working on Blackout in 2006, she hadn't toured for two years and had barely released any new music. In the context of her whirlwind career, that was a long break. She had been focusing her attention on motherhood and marriage. She and Federline even chronicled their relationship in a five-episode reality series called Chaotic. This is my journey. Well, you tell me how you really feel all the time. No, I don't. You don't even have to say it. I can see it in your eyes. I'm real, and I'm just going to tell you like it is. Songwriter and producer Cara Diaguardi worked on Spears' previous album, In the Zone, co-writing the song Brave New Girl with the Star. It tells the story of a girl wanting to get out and explore the world. Diaguardi was also working with a number of pop heavyweights at the time. Christina Aguilera, Pink, Kelly Clarkson, Gwen Stefani, Ashley Simpson. It was a moment where women were filling the charts with open, honest pop songs. And Britney's pivot to more grown-up themes on In the Zone had helped lead the charge. Here's Diaguardi on writing Brave New Girl with her. I would say that pop was very much alive and thriving as a genre. There seemed a lot of um, room for women to be expressing kind of what they were going through if they were writing songs. And this specific record for Britney felt like she was very much uh, had a hand in curating what she was saying. But Diaguardi saw firsthand that Britney's life was turning into a circus. And by the time she rejoined Britney in the studio for Blackout, things were getting worse. And I remember being in the studio with her and there was just this tremendous amount of paparazzi to the point where I feel like I had to pretend I was pregnant and go outside to trick the paparazzi, which was like so beyond what... (laughs) what my job description was. But I felt like this poor girl, I mean, anything I can do to kind of get these animals off her scent, I wanted to do for her because she was just this sweet woman who would do anything you asked of her in terms of, you know, her craft and her art. You know, if you asked her to sing it a million times, she would do it because she just wanted it to be right. It was a miracle that Britney could get anything done with the pressure and scrutiny she faced. But she had another close ally in her corner. Teresa LaBarbera was hired as Blackout's A&R, 
That stands for Artist and Repertoire. A&R reps help with talent scouting and creative development, often pairing stars with collaborators. Before she met Britney, Laura Barra worked on groundbreaking releases for stars like Destiny's Child and later a solo Beyonce. Laura Barra's goal was to help Britney move to a new phase of her career. Even though she had just scored one of her biggest hits ever with Toxic, she was trying not to repeat herself. At the time, the label was like, oh, we got to find another, you know, Toxic or another, the same things that she had been doing. And uh, like, I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm interested in moving forward and and what can we bring that she's not done before? So for me, that was the exciting part about working with someone like Britney. So I was looking for someone that I thought could bring a fresh new sound that hadn't just made the previous six months of albums for everybody else. Um, I wanted to be able to find a team, a creative team of songwriters and producers that could really help us create something special. La Barbera soon found a producer who would help achieve the cutting edge sound Britney wanted, Nate Hills, otherwise known as Danger. The Miami-based producer had worked as protege and co-producer with Timbaland, then the most innovative producer in pop. As Danger explains, that was like striking gold. I'm in a place where music, or the music that we've been putting out have been successful. So now all the top dogs you can think of in the business is reaching out. And um, we met with Teresa. At the time, Timbaland was changing the sound of the top 40, spreading dark, future-forward sound over albums like Nelly Furtado's Loose and Justin Timberlake's Future Sex Love Sounds. Danger had been a crucial partner to Tim, but linking up with Britney Spears outside of his shadow would take him even further. I didn't have an idea in the world that I would ever work with Britney Spears. That just was a far-fetched thing. It wasn't something that was like, yeah, I'm going to work with Britney Spears one day. I'm going to work with, you know, all these big stars one day. That just wasn't a thought. I just didn't. I, I thought my talent at a point would get me there, but it just wasn't a thought. It was just... So even after it, after it was done, <laughs> I, then I look back and like, like I did a Britney... I have a, a Britney Spears album in my catalog and it's still overwhelming when I sit and reflect on it and think about it. Danger wasn't a big name then, but La Barbera saw that he was worth taking a risk on. Nate was not really that well known. I mean, he had been working under Tim and on Justin's record. And so uh, his name was sort of bubbling up. And, you know, I talked to some people and they're like, you should you should reach out to this guy because he could be really great. So I reached out to Danger and had him come to, you know, I think we started in Vegas. I think we were in Vegas. And uh, because we had set ourselves up there at the Palm Studio and Hotel because she loved working there. To find the album's distinct sound, Danger looked to the electronic dance music taking over the clubs in his native Miami. He recalls a night at Club Space, watching the revelers lose themselves like they were in a trance. He wanted to make songs that had that same effect. I feel like that album and some of the projects before it that I worked on really laid the uh, groundwork for people like Geta and Afrojack and those people at the time to be able to do what they did underground, mainstream. The rules for Blackout were that there were no rules. 
Danger was encouraged to experiment, and he did so with a trusted team of collaborators who would end up making nearly half the album. Producer Jim Beans, engineer Marcella Areca, and writer Carrie Hilson. La Barbera chose to not create a brief, or guidelines, for the producers and songwriters to work off of. I hate when people create briefs for records because I think you're just boxing yourself in. You just got to see what happens and let it happen. And and that's what we did. We just created music. There was no agenda. There was no, oh, we need a song that sounds like this. Or, oh, we need a song that sounds, you know, we just were making music. And I think, again, that was part of what was exciting for Nate because he was working with Britney and had not worked with her before. And he was on his own. He wasn't under the tutelage of Tim and where he had been before. He was really branching out on his own. I had no expectations, just only hopes, you know. Uh, so I think that gave us really an open palette. And she trusted us, you know. On the first day in Vegas, the team wrote Break the Ice, a pulsing techno-crunk single that features classic breathy Britney flourishes, and a small tribute to her hero, Janet Jackson, when she stops the song to comment, I like this part. I like this part. Oh. It feels kind of good. In the studio, Britney's body language would tell Danger all he needed to know. It was just, like, almost freestyle. If it caught her, if it grabbed her, she went with it. You knew it grabbed her if she was dancing. If she started doing her choreography, <laughs> like if she started hitting her choreography to the, just the beat without the top line, then we knew we had it. I guess as a producer, one started to formulate as I continued to get deeper and deeper in the project. But it was just continue to give her aggressive, hard-hitting beats, high energy. For me, it was just that. How can we take the pop princess or the pop queen and put a little mud on her? How's she gonna pull that off? And, you know, I think keeping the common thread, being tempo and being danceable and sing along, it was kind of an easy formula. She trusted us, you know. Uh, she loved what she was hearing, and so we all just kept moving forward, you know, as they would create a sound. Um, and I continued to look for other producers and songwriters to bring into the fold. So it was just a constant motion forward of creativity. She, of course, being the driving force because she is what inspires everyone. Danger, Jim, Marcella, and Carrie began working with Britney around July 2006. They traversed the country for sessions, going from Vegas to Miami to New York to Britney's home in Los Angeles to record the songs and see what got Britney dancing. Along the way, they picked up collaborators like T-Pain, who worked on Hot as Ice and sings background vocals. It's one of the more un-Britney tracks, with a more playful synth riff than most of the album and a bit of vocal theatrics from the singer. That was one of the, I like that track a lot. Like, that's probably one of my favorite ones off of the project because it's so weird in all the right ways. And the character of T-Pain was the perfect writer for that because he didn't mimic Britney, I don't feel like, but he definitely got in whatever character he needed to be to pull the track off. And that famous line from the single Gimme More that opens Blackout? It's Britney, bitch. It was an off-the-cuff moment in the studio. 
I don't know what was going on in the room. Jim Beans was cutting all her vocals. And I don't know if she just said it like, you know, it's Britney, bitch. I don't know if she just said it. And then Jim Beans was like, no, 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 you got to say that. Like, you have to say that. So he got her to say it at the top of the song. Either she said it and we moved it there. But either way, we got her to say it. And I think that embodies the whole energy of Blackout. That lets you know where her, kind of her headspace, and, and, and she was willing to go as far as she, as far as she wanted to go. Danger had been working on music for American Idol winner Fantasia when he dreamt up the iconic bass line from Gimme More. And I came up with that, with that boom, 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 boom. And I was like, oh my God, I just kind of saved it real quick and just put it to the side. When we got back in the studio and I think we were in Conway in LA, that was one of the first beats I played. <laughs> and uh, Jim Beans and Carrie Hilson was in the room and they just went at it. They just went at it. Britney went nuts. Like she was just dancing all over the place and we cut that record but it's it was I it, I'm saying all that to say I know how I felt when I heard that bass line and that beat and I was just like you know as a creative sometimes you get you can drink your own Kool-Aid but um I just felt like this is it if something as simple as this this is it Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Danja isn't the only producer with a big presence on Blackout. The Swedish duo Bloodshy and Avant worked on four tracks. As a production pair, the two had their big break with Britney's 2003 single, Toxic, which they followed by working on Madonna's Confessions on a Dance Floor. Here's Pontus Vinberg, otherwise known as Avant. There is something to that era where the aim was kind, you know, kind of to invent something new which is not, it's not really about that anymore. All the briefs back then was to just like, I want to hear something new, even from the major labels. And here's Christian Carlson, AKA Bloodshy. I think uh, the reason we paired up with Britney so well um, is because she and uh, the a and would let me and Pontus 
just be me and Pontus and do whatever we wanted to do. And that's why it's like we had other huge artists. Uh, we had a meeting with Janet Jackson just before we wrote Toxic, and we had to like kind of make a decision like who do we, what, where do we invest? And it wasn't like what's the best artist. No, who's gonna let us do our crazy shit? You know, like who's actually gonna, gonna let us do whatever we want to do? And so that's why it was a good matchup, I think. Like Danger, Bloodshy and Avant were attracted to a darker kind of dance pop. I think we worked with Madonna first. Actually, if you if you listen to those tracks, they are very very similar to the tracks we did for Blackout. Yeah. It's Kylie, Madonna, Britney, and those tracks at the time is kind of in the same headspace for us. And it's also when we went completely, and a lot of other people did too, but like completely all in on on all the biggest synths that you can find. Like all the all that ra the rave sounds and the trance sounds was in there. Meanwhile, a young electropunk artist named Coco Morier had just moved to Los Angeles. Her friend and future Grammy winner Greg Kirsten had just started writing pop songs, and he encouraged her to do the same. It turned out that Morier had been in a similar headspace as Bloodshy and Avant and Danger, without having even met them or Britney yet. I had never been to Sony Music, like the headquarters, and it's this giant building. And But what was really amazing about the day was that Britney was going to be there. And I think this was kind of the height of all the media attention. And so it was like high level security. <laughs> like we were like, there was hardly anybody in the building. It was very eerie. And of course I was nervous to come in and meet someone like Teresa LaBarbera because she's just this like, you know, super high level music executive. And I thought like, okay, what am I even doing here? Like, <laughs> and, um, but then I met her and I was, you know, immediately disarming. Like she's so sweet and she was so friendly and like open. Morier had written a song called Heaven on Earth with the electronic production duo Frisha. That day at Sony headquarters, she nervously played a demo for La Barbera. And I was so green at the time that I actually like printed out the lyrics to all the songs, which I probably wouldn't do anymore. But we ended up, I think we played Heaven on Earth. It was one of the first songs we played. And um, I'll never forget, I saw Teresa was looking and reading the lyrics and she stopped after the song stopped. And we kind of just sit there awkwardly and listen to the song with her. Like, what is she going to think about it? And she, she turned to me and she said, you write really interesting lyrics. Nobody does that anymore. And I was just like completely floored. <laughs> and um, she said, Brittany's coming in in an hour and I love the song. And uh, I want to play it for her and see if she feels the same. Morier was offered the opportunity to produce Brittany's vocals on the song but she felt shy about working with such a megawatt star. Cara Diaguardi ended up assisting, having also written the track Ooh Ooh Baby for Blackout. Brittany wanted to experiment in the vocal booth on both songs. I think that at least in the sessions that we did, there was so much freedom for her just to try anything and everything out without any judgment. And I think she's worked with so many wonderful producers. So I think probably 
she was allowed to do that along the way. But um, for this particular record, I think she she just really wanted to try on different things and be like, she, you know, I remember her being like, no, no, I don't like that. Or, oh, I didn't like that. That was horrible. But, oh, I like that, you know. And she just had such humility and kind of um, self-deprecating and, you know, just was really fun. And it was a joyous process for her. Brittany even added in a bit of flourish at the end of Heaven on Earth. The ad-libs at the end of the song are definitely Britney, and she just put her classic Britney touch on there and added a lot of that. Morier would get to finally meet and produce the singer when she returned to work on Blackout's follow-up, Circus. As much her vocal deliveries are as full and like sassy and gritty as any like feminist punk band. And, you know, especially the line, like, it's Britney, bitch. Like, her delivery is, like, instantly iconic. And not everybody could pull that off. Um, So I think whether she kind of sees herself as this or not, I think, like, this is, like, the most punk pop album ever made. Danger saw a similar type of looseness and experimentation in Britney during the Blackout sessions. I feel like watching her morph into the character for this project... It seemed like it was a hunger there. Like, she was just open to listening to whatever we suggested, attacking it, recording as many times as she needed to, to get things right. You know, what you hear is her. That's her. You know, it's not a whole lot of process. Britney Spears going on. That's her performance. That's her really singing that or doing that. So it was like a hunger that was there that she just wanted to, like she had something to prove. For Britney, the studio was a safe haven. I think she felt so safe and comfortable performing songs, whether it be on stage or in the studio. You could tell that there was a real gratitude for that part of her career. When Britney left the studio, however, she stepped into a hostile world. Paparazzi were scaling the buildings, blocking her car, and lurking outside her home. Britney's safety was a constant concern over the year it took to record Blackout. For La Barbera, it was infuriating. I mean, from what I saw, it made me so angry. Uh, Obviously, clearly, you can hear it in my voice because I just, I felt like she just couldn't, no one would leave her alone. I mean, she couldn't go get a bite to eat. She couldn't be with her kids. We had to really create a protective bubble for her just to feel like, okay, this is my space. And because once she left that space, she was going to be literally attacked by human beings with cameras. And I mean, they didn't care if she was holding the baby. They don't care. They just want to get the shot. Makes a better shot, you know, if they if they create a scenario where she's falling or crying or scared. While Vanessa Gregoriadis reported her 2008 Rolling Stone cover story, she spent a lot of time watching high-speed paparazzi chases around L.A., The 2000s were one of the most lucrative and horrifying eras of celebrity culture yet. Britney happened to be living in L.A. at kind of the wrong place, wrong time. When the British paparazzi basically descended on the city, starting in the early aughts and continuing for, I would say, like till the rise of Facebook, right? 2008, 2009, when Facebook really started making exponential leaps. Um, That was kind of the height of paparazzi culture. You know, you had lots of European agencies moving there. 
You had, of course, Us magazine and all the tabloids that kind of followed the Us model um, that all needed shots of celebrities. And people were just kind of gorging on this stuff. Um, It was the most important part of mainstream culture. Here's Teresa La Barbera. Most of us can't understand what that's like because we don't experience that. I I didn't know what that was like until I started to work with her. And we literally, I had to start planning the studios where I knew we could get her in and out safely. And we did, which was great. You know, we were able, like I said, when we were being creative to be able to create that space for her. But it was it was it was horrible for her. It was really really horrible. It it was heartbreaking to watch it and she tried to take it all in stride and to be brave and to put on a strong face and even when people are being horrible to her, she still manages to be nice. As a mother herself, La Barbera wanted to make the studios kid-friendly. Brittany gave birth and divorced her husband in the midst of recording. So the team made a point to set up kid-friendly spaces so that Brittany was never too far from her beloved sons. I definitely never lost sight of the fact that she had two babies under the age of two and had gone through a divorce and was also still coming in there and creating this amazing music. Um, I remember we bought a, a swing and put it outside one of the studios so that, you know, uh, when her family was there with the baby, they could like, you know, because it's, it's important for a mother to be able to be around her children, but it's also hard to work around your children as well. Um, so there were just a lot of things I think I thought of that maybe other people might not have thought of. Um, but I think it's also because I'm a woman and I was a mother as well. And I had worked on a lot of big projects prior to hers. And I knew the stress and the pressure that comes with that. According to Bloodshy and Avant, there was an unwritten label rule at the time that writers and producers should steer clear of Britney's personal life in the music. But for Pontus Vinberg, it felt impossible not to respond. The real rule that I heard, like the only thing was to just like, okay, don't mention that stuff. And then so we figured, let's mention it. <laughs> I mean, generally up until like half of the album or through the end, She's been, it's been super positive. She's been working hard, very easy person to work with and one in the team sort of vibe, I would say. And then her world got very complicated. So, uh, and that catches up. With Peace of Me, Britney's collaborators stepped in and helped her control the narrative. And of course, you know, Peace of Me, I knew that they would be the ones to be able to pull that story together. Peace of Me was towards the end of the recording project. And, you know, we had experienced a lot of, um, you know, a lot of stress from the paparazzi. Bloodshy and Avant co-wrote Peace of Me with the producer Klaus Oland who enlisted his friend Robin to record the demo back in Sweden. Her vocals still remain on the background of the track. The song itself is a cheeky kiss-off to the celebrity culture that was continuously preying on and mocking Britney. If her life was a source of public amusement, she was going to have the last laugh. Here's Christian Carlson. 
it was impossible. It was impossible to not write about it. It was so everywhere. And we we were like, okay, so we're told we should not talk about this. We should steer it somewhere else. And uh, and then like we were working with Klaus and Klaus also said like, I don't, I can't do that. Like we have to help her answer back to media. You know, like we let's let write the songs that's like aiming at media. And so it was piece of me. In the same session, the group also wrote See My Side with Robin. The song was a vulnerable request for grace from a vicious public. It's slower than most of Blackout, but carried by a gorgeous mellow beat. Spears recorded it, but was too emotional to complete the song. And the lyric was See My Side and I'll See Yours Better. And we were trying to record it, but Britney, it was very emotional because it's a very beautiful ballad. Uh, and she was kind of like too emotional. We recorded it and we could never finish it. See My Side eventually found a home on American Idol alum Jordan Sparks' self-titled debut. But Carlson still wishes Britney had finished it. I think that song should have made it on Back Out. It's, uh, it's a great song. As Britney geared up for Blackout's release, the constant media coverage was starting to take a serious toll on her. Publicly, she was reaching a clear breaking point. In early 2007, she briefly checked into a rehab center and upon her exit, shaved off all her hair. A few weeks later, she attacked a paparazzo's car with an umbrella after they chased her. While her drive to complete the album never diminished, she started to lose some of the enthusiasm her collaborators adored. Carlson noticed this during the Peace of Me sessions. I mean, she was a little detached to a lot at the time because there was so much going on. So we were very tight at speaking to Teresa all, all the time. Of course, we had her in the studio, but then we tried to use the time with her as, you know, focused, you know, like just trying to record as much as possible. So, um, you know, we, we felt like she didn't want to spend... She, like, but this is at the end. It was completely different in the beginning. She was, she didn't want to leave the studio, and we were like working. So when when we did "Piece of Me," we were just trying to record as much as possible so we could finish the song. Blackout was released in October 2007. Britney did only one short, awkward interview with Ryan Seacrest to promote it, and made an infamous return to the VMA stage to perform "Gimme More." Her nerves were visibly frayed on stage for the first time in her career. The album was narrowly beat out on the charts by the Eagles, becoming the first Britney album to not debut at number one. In January 2008, Britney was put under involuntary psychiatric hold. Soon after, she was forced into a court-ordered conservatorship, where her father took control of much of her finances, as well as medical decisions and personal affairs. A conservatorship is particularly unusual for someone as young as Britney, who was only 26 at the time, and has continued to release more albums and perform live. It has come under more scrutiny in recent years, spurring global recognition for the fan-led Free Britney movement, which has wanted to see her regain control of her life and assets. In June 2021, she spoke out against the conservatorship for the first time in years, in a harrowing testimony. I am traumatized. You know, fake it till you make it. 
But now I'm telling you the truth, okay? I'm not happy. I can't sleep. I'm so angry. It's insane. And I'm depressed. I cry every day. In the Speaking region. out on her story has helped. As of November 12th, 2021, Britney Spears is free. She celebrated with her devoted fans on Instagram, even sharing some thoughts on what the future of her new life may hold in a video clip. Hopefully my story will make an impact and um, make some changes in the corrupt system. And the Free Britney movement, you guys rock. Because of you, I honestly think you guys saved my life in a way, 100%. It can seem like the drama eventually drowned out the music. But Blackout was a dark and dance-heavy risk that paid off. It foreshadowed a boom for clubby, EDM-infused pop that would produce super producers like Skrillex and Zed, and pop stars like Lady Gaga and Kesha. Younger artists like Charlie XCX, Rina Sawayama, and Tinashe have sung the praises of the album. Kim Petras was 15 years old when Blackout came out, and says the album was a blueprint for her own music. It's still very influential, and I think you can still hear it in pop music. And I think it was the first time for me, you know, with with Britney kind of being like the pop star of my generation, where someone went a completely different direction and went dark and dirty and wasn't afraid to go there. So I love listening to Blackout with my friends at parties. I, you know, I have a have CDJs in my house, and I always throw in something from Blackout. Danger also sees the album's impact everywhere he looks. And it's like a foundation for what pop music is now. And it's a Bible, it's an encyclopedia, it's whatever you want it to be to go back and reference. It's set a bar so high that lets you know there's no boundaries. And no matter what, if she comes back and does an album five years from now, she already set a bar that lets you know she's she's limitless. You know, she's limitless with that album. She put herself 20 years ahead of everybody. So that means she can 10, 5 years from now come back and still pick up where she left off because she already set a bar with this music that's just so wild and outrageous and just pushed every boundary that can be pushed to where people still are struggling to meet it. For Kim Petras, as one of the few mainstream trans pop stars who has continued to thrive in the gay club scene, she knows exactly where Blackout has repeatedly gotten its due. The gays always knew it. The gays always got it. The gays were always there and, you know, understood. And this album is one of the most beloved gay culture staples. I still don't think that that's changed. I I still think people discredit if women make music about sexuality and sex and fun music. I still think people don't want to take it seriously. And I think this album was influential on people being like, fuck that, I'm going to be honest and make sexy, hot pop music and fuck what everyone has to say about it. So I think she's a punk rock badass bitch for Blackout. Love you, Britney. Bye. It's Britney, bitch. Blackout landed at number 441 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums. I'm Brittany Spanos. This has been Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, an Amazon original podcast. Executive producers are Nathan Brackett, Christian Horde, Hank Schemer, Gus Winner, and myself. This episode was produced by me. Our senior producer is Michelle Lands. 
Additional production help by Mary Dew. Mixing by Marquise Neal. Peter Miller is our music supervisor. Fact-checking by Jonathan Bernstein. Supervising executives for Amazon Music are Nathan Brackett, Morgan Jones, Steph Wachning, and Lauren D. And for Rolling Stone, Jason Fine. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums every Tuesday, exclusively on Amazon Music. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.